There's a battle taking place in all of us. It's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh is our natural carnal desires. That's what we were born with. Have you ever noticed how you don't have to teach a child to be impatient, to be selfish, to get upset? I was at a grocery store and this little boy, probably two years old, was there shopping with his mother. She looked like a businesswoman, very professional, well-dressed. Her little boy was as cute as can be. And he went over and got something off the bottom shelf. His mother said very lovingly, no, son, we have to put that back. Up to that point, he'd been happy, in a good mood. But when she took that away, it was like he turned into a different person. He started screaming. He fell down on the floor, flailing his hands and legs, throwing this big fit. You thought he was dying. Of course, his mom was kind of embarrassed, and she tried to discreetly, quietly pick him up. He screamed even louder. Here's my point. Nobody had to teach him how to throw a fit. That's what we're born with. The scripture calls it the flesh or our carnal nature. It's things like pride, selfishness, impatience, getting upset. And here's the key. The flesh wants to be in control. The flesh is not going to be happy unless it gets its way. And the easy way is to do like that little boy and give in. And that's okay when we're two years old. We're growing, we're learning. People understand why we're childish. The problem is not when we're two, but when we're 42 and we're still throwing a fit. We're still being ruled by our feelings. We think, I feel like being rude, I'm going to tell them off. I feel like being lazy, I'm going to skip work. I feel like being impatient. I feel like compromising. As long as you're allowing your feelings to be the boss, it will limit how high you can go. The scripture talks about dying to the flesh. That means not giving in to what we feel. If you live on that shallow level of always having to please your flesh, you'll never discover what's really in you, the best of you. Your gifts, your talents, your potential won't come out. You have to go beyond the surface. If you'll get past the temporary pain of not having your way and choose to follow the spirit instead of the flesh, God will release more of his favor. You'll continue to rise higher and higher. Out of Austin, Texas, you're listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen Podcast. Here's your host, Sheila Dean. Hello and welcome to another Saturday edition of the Unsanctioned Citizen. It is kind of overcast and gray, lots of interesting cumulonimbus activity out here in Austin, Texas. Uh, momentary hope, sun breaks coming through, which are lovely and periodic, um, but we're heading into deep fall and approaching the winter. Uh, I think it, on Tuesday we've got Halloween, which is going to be interesting. Um, we're, we're trying to brace for all of the, the activity that, that could be happening. Had the most, the strangest interaction with a pizza guy who came to the door. He's like, do you have any ghosts here? And I'm like, no, no, dude, nobody's ever lived here. Yeah, but, but have you seen any ghosts? And I'm like, no, we're the only people who've ever lived here. This is a brand new house. It was just built. Yeah, but have you seen any ghosts? 
I'm like, no, it's not Poltergeist, man. There was, they checked. There's no, nobody. He's insisted that there might be ghosts here. Like, this is a brand new development. It's not any kind of tribal land. It's not even remotely, you know, nothing. Nothing. I think I did find an arrowhead, but that doesn't qualify it as, as anything. Because, because this is like prairie region. It just, you know, people were here and they left and then they came back and then they settled here and then, and then, you know, it was, originally it was just a, a Menchaca was like a place for veterans. I don't know what to tell a person like that. I think they just watch too much ghost hunters and smoke a lot of weed. So, um, but that's kind of what comes around uh, to your door, these interesting occasions here in Austin, Texas. People are kind of strange in their, their little mini obsessions. They don't mind sharing them with you and being completely candid and inquisitive about those things, which makes life really interesting, by the way. So we're going to start with some follow-up reporting from last week, which was contributed in part by America This Week with Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern. So we'll get to that in a moment. This is just a reminder, we have free Assange Fridays and free Snowden Saturdays. So today would be technically free Snowden Saturday, um, but it piggybacks on the back of free Assange Friday. So uh, we will have some news about that. But first, we're going we're gonna to check in about Owen Schroyer, who is a man at InfoWars who was arrested, and they tried to launder in uh, a conviction over his, his speech, which is not legal, so it's possible that his conviction could get overturned at some point if they try to make it on the basis of his speech. There's just too much precedent that goes in the direction of free speech, and you can't just manufacture new law and call it precedent um, to, to reinvent American law. They try all the time, um, but this is how our law and our legal system is being perverted at the time. And I hate using that word. It's so old and antiquated. I feel like it's it's something from the 1980s. Oh, he's so perverted. Because he wants to talk about sex or she wants to talk about gross stuff or, you know. It's really, it's really a word we don't use very much. But perverted is just basically where you take something that happens in a normal way or in a... In a in a traditionally like presumed way, the way it's supposed to be happening, and then you do something else with it, and you know twist it and rearrange it so it does the opposite of its intended action. Um, in this case, it would be a perversion, subversion of justice, and that's not okay. There's lots of things that are said today that I don't agree with that make me feel bad, but I don't. Um, I don't think it's my place because I'm a traditional type of American to say, well, that should never be said ever. And that person's speech rights should be revoked indefinitely. The only people I really hear saying those types of things are communists and progressives and people who are adopting lawmaking premises that aren't American premises. They're not based in American constitutional law. They're just adopting them based on the waves of sentiment that are in the governing space. You can't govern on sentiment. You have to govern on facts. You have to govern on 
you know, what we have going on in our actual society, if everyone could just law make by tantrum, we would be in anarchy. And I think that that's, the proof is in the pudding. If there's anarchy and lawlessness outside your door, someone on drugs, defecating on the sidewalk, you know, who could just stand up and knife you and then no conviction would take place, that, that is lawlessness and that is legislating through feelings. You don't get any justice in that type of system. You get chaotic, crazy. And there is no law. The point of government at that point becomes irrelevant. You may dispatch whatever is there and throw them out because they are just taking dollars from the taxpayer for no reason to not govern. Because in a in the society we're, we're accustomed to, where things like that don't happen, where the sidewalks are clean, where, you know, we paid for the sidewalks to be clean. Yet here we are. Yet here we are. We let people who govern through their feelings do all the thinking for us. And feelings are not thinking. I'll guess, I'll guess that you are figuring that out now. So uh, we'll circle back to some of the Israeli. But first, Matt Taibbi and Walter Kern. All right, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Walter Kern. Walter, how's it going? Good. I have a little bit of a cold, um, but uh, yeah, and you know how colds are these days. Uh, you're not allowed to cough outside anymore. Um, right. So I, I'm basically on house arrest. Yeah, uh, butterfly effect. The whole world could collapse. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, within, within seconds. Um, and we're laughing at that, but that's actually not funny this week because uh, of a number of incidents but we just had we just had sort of an, an amazing thing happen on top uh, amidst the series of crazy developments on the whole squelching speech front mm -hmm. um we had a we just had a case involving uh owen schroyer of infowars and i i know people are going to roll their eyes because it's Infowars and which, you know, which is associated Shouldn't they with already Jones. be in jail, all of those people? I mean. It, yeah, right, exactly. So so <laughs> for some people, there's going to be that baseline reaction, like whatever, right? It's Infowars. Right. But sure. remember, the whole digital censorship mm -hmm. thing really got rolling five years ago when they, when they just kind of willy-nilly kicked Alex Jones off and nobody cared because it was Alex Jones, right? right. Uh, but the... the at the time, I remember saying, okay, the issue isn't who it is, but how they did this. It's just a bunch of executives got together in a back room and decided to remove this person from the internet. And there's no process, nothing. Um, and next thing you know, all kinds of people are being bounced from the internet. They don't have to explain anything, which they said wouldn't happen. Right? Right. Sure. Yeah. So now we have this incident with Owen Schroyer, who's a host for Infowars, and the backstory here is a little complicated. Uh, he had been arrested uh, about a year before January 6th for disrupting a House Judiciary Committee hearing. As a result of that, uh, he had a 
basically a, um, a sentencing recommendation for community service that included a four-month bar on entering the grounds of the Capitol. Um, they say that that agreement told because he, he was not able to complete his community service because of the pandemic. Therefore, it was still in effect on January 6th. Therefore, he violated the order by being there. And so he had to be sentenced for this, for, for being at January, uh, being at the Capitol, um, but not not, in, not, um, not inside it, as I understand. Right. So all of that is kind of whatever. It's sort of basic law up till this point. But you get to the government's filing in this case, and basically none of it is about the conduct at the time. The whole case is about how he, quote unquote, caught, uh, helped cause January 6th um, through his speech. And he ends up being sentenced to two months uh, in, in jail. He's going to go to uh, jail for two months, um, essentially for, for comments about uh, basically for, for disinformation, which they, they claimed he, uh, he committed, um, for saying things like, quote, we are still in control of this country, uh, quote, um, if the mainstream media didn't want to broadcast the American Revolution 2.0, then fine, InfoWars will take the exclusives. Um, like that's apparently a, like a bannable speech. And not only that, this is amazing because they're essentially trying to make an incitement argument, but they, they actually ding him for saying afterwards, we should, ha we should have been proud of what happened. Um, so like, forget about all the, what you think about January 6th or his, what he said. The, the issue is going before a judge, getting them to, to expand the sentence because of uh, speech without making a speech argument. Walter, is, is, what's your reaction to this? Well, I First of all, you said it's not uh, what you say. Uh, it shouldn't be who you are. It should be what you say. Or I, I'm not sure how you put it, but it seems clear that it's who you are in this case. Um, uh, he uh, he said things that I suppose are not unprecedented unprecedented in the history of radical speech in America. Um, we're right. in control of this country. Uh, that could refer to the citizenry, I suppose it did, not just to InfoWars fans. Um, and uh, he's an easy target. So, so away he goes. He's in jail now, 60 days. He did a kind of social media speech in which he stood in front of the prison and asked for people's uh, support while he was gone. Um, is he... Uh, did, did he incite violence? Uh, is that, I mean, is that the suggestion? Or is it that he simply had unhygienic views? Um, no, no, they, they're very clear in, in the filing that this is because he, he helped create January 6th. Uh, and they, whatever and they that keep, means. Yeah, he stoked the fire of hundreds of thousands of his followers with violent rhetoric and disinformation about the election. Uh, the court must also consider that Schroeder's conduct 
uh, took place in the context of a large and violent riot that relied on numbers to overwhelm police officers, uh, blah, blah, blah. This is repeated over and over. He stoked the flames of a, of a potential disruption of certification vote by streaming disinformation about alleged voter fraud and a stolen election to thousands, perhaps millions. This is another, by the way, theme that comes up in a lot of, uh, in a lot of these cases. The numbers? That, yeah, the numbers. They, they, they also ding him for boasting about the number of followers uh, that he gets. Destroyer bragged to a crowd in Washington, D.C. that InfoWars Stop the Steel movement was able, able to get 40,000 followers in parlor in five days and that we are still in control of this country. Um, that's come up in a couple of other, like there's the case of Brandon Straka, the, the, the um, you know, he's, he's the guy who, uh, you know, the, the, who, who did the whole away. movement about walk away movement. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in, in his sentencing recommendation, which was another disorderly conduct charge, wasn't a speech charge, but they highlighted the number of people in his social media account as an aggravating factor. Right. So uh, they're not they're not claiming this is incitement they're, like formally. Right. They, they don't say, you know, there's a charge of incitement here or, or this is prohibited speech, according to, you know, rulings X, Y and Z. They're just saying the court should consider this in its sentencing for this other thing. Right. And disinformation, we should remind people, is not a crime. Not in any way. Uh, it, it's never been legally defined that I know of, uh, and nor has it been proscribed. Uh, I'm sure there are many people out there protesting today uh, about matters of war and peace who are saying things that are uh, enchanting things that uh, others would believe to be untrue and, and which are also kind of rousing uh, in a, a, you know, in a crowd-oriented way. Um, so it just seems like they threw a lot of spaghetti at the wall in his case. Uh, um, well, they, it, they, it's not just that, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. They added up the bad words. Um, they accused him of boasting of his numbers, but it sounds like the numbers that they used to show his influence are even greater than the ones he claimed. Um, right. Uh, so uh, he was. It, I Is that disinformation? Yeah. No, he 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 undersold it. Apparently, if they uh, if he only claimed having forty thousand people or something, and they said he had millions, um, using using someone's reach as a media figure against them seems to be the opposite of uh, what we what we should do. Uh, in some ways, I, I would think that speaking for a large group of Americans uh, should protect you in some ways. It, it renders you, in some ways, a legitimate journalist. Well, you're right, and 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 they're going to take the op they're going to take the opposite argument because they have a completely opposite view of what speech is for. Um, the problem is that it's completely contrary to like hundreds of years of law in this country. Um, and they, they clearly know it because they're not charging the offense. If, if they actually went and tried to charge something like 
if they actually tried to prove uh, that he, he helped cause January 6th with his speech, they would have to leap over an enormous legal hurdle to get there, right? Like the, the legal standard for that is, is, you know, again, it's imminent lawless action and it has to be very extreme and very direct uh, to be prohibited. So they don't, they, they intentionally don't do that. They just lard up the filing to the court with all this detail. With this prejudicial kind of language. Wing. Yeah. Right. Kind of hoping that the judge will come back with, with um, you know, a, max, a maximum arrangement on the sentencing. And, and I don't know if this was the maximum that he got, but, but it's still... It's still significant that they would do the make this argument and that he would go to jail as a result of it. I, I mean, I, I, first of all, I don't see why they needed to do that in, in this climate. All they would have had to do is, is make the argument that he violated the order. And I'm pretty sure the judge would have agreed with them. Well, it smacks of, it smacks of trying to establish some sort of uh, informal, uh, sentimental prejudice uh, or precedent, excuse me, uh, in, in which association with certain events um, and certain kinds of speech uh, aggravate other other charges. Um, it, it, it's as though you know uh, when you commit robbery and you have a deadly weapon, you get a higher uh, higher sentence and if you um trespass or violate a, a, a an order like this and you also happen to be uh spreading the wrong kind of uh political uh sentiment it aggravates your charge uh, even though none of this is formal you're, they just use the chance to smuggle it in right right they it's 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 a it's like law between lines, basically. Uh, they're, they're trying to create uh, a, a sort of secondary s system of accusation and, and, uh, and punishment. Um, well, they could have added, and he kicked his dog, and uh, he was caught speeding on the way to the thing, and uh, <laughs> right. you, you know his windshield is dirty. Uh, all of that has as much relevance to the matter as this does but um you know it made the charging document a political document yeah and you know the the, the problem is what does that mean legally going forward now uh Schreier's lawyer norm pattis wrote a a rebuttal memorandum which was really really interesting and really on point to, to talking about how um you know the government uh didn't make any speech arguments, um, even though they quote took direct aim at freedom of speech. They they didn't argue. They didn't bring up cite any of the cases that would have uh, been relevant. Like he brings up Chaplinsky v. New Hampshire, which in which somebody called a police officer a, a goddamn racketeer and a damn fascist, and the court ruled that was protected speech. Brandon v. Ever v. Ohio is the famous one. That's the <clears throat> imminent incitement case, the famous Supreme Court case, but 
it has a, a specific line in there, mere abstract teaching of the moral propriety or even necess necessity to resort to, to force and violence is protected. Um, and there's a bunch of other cases that he uh, renews, but they, but they, do, they don't go there. The, the, none of, he says, none of the utterances re recited by the government and attributed to Mr. Schroyer are prohibited speech. And I, I very much doubt they could get any lawyer anywhere to argue that they were. But they, because they're not making a legal argument, <laughs> they don't have to worry about that. It's like law without law. Well, Matt, you, you've talked a few times in the last few weeks about this Carl Schmitt uh, legal theory that comes out of Nazi Germany in which uh, people are labeled friend or foe and uh, then uh, things proceed according to that distinction. And this was clearly an attempt to label him a foe. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's how it served. Um, and I, I don't know who the judge was, but maybe it was a warning to the judge that uh, should you rule incorrectly here, you have de facto abetted January 6th yourself or at least turned a blind eye to it. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's certainly true. That's got to be going through the judge's mind a little bit, at least a little bit, you would think, yeah. uh, in that moment. Well, and, it is and after he read, read what they wrote, uh, if it wasn't before. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think also now all of us who are in the media are going to, this is going to be in our minds. Um, I mean, I, I never uh, claimed that the 2020 election was stolen, but I'm sure there are other things that the government would claim is incorrect. Um, for instance, I, I, I held out the idea that there you know, might have been a lab leak with, um, with COVID. Uh, right. And they clearly disputed that at the beginning. I mean, who, who knows now? What, the, what they could argue. And, and the issue is this could come up in any kind of hearing about anything. Um, and, and, they're, and they're sort of making that stochastic terrorism uh, argument that, you know, the, I, you know, I seem to remember you, you, you particularly disliking, uh, which is, it's just this end around way to argue incitement um, to turn protected speech into incitement which is just terrifying. The thing I hate about the stochastic terrorism argument, by the way, is that I don't get any credit for stochastic inspiration. Um, if, <laughs> it, 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 you know, uh, if, they're going to, if they're going to judge people for what they might inspire in the anonymous public by their, uh, uh, you know, by their calls for justice and so on, I also want credit for having, you know, said good things about God and children and... Uh, you know, the animal world, and uh, it, but but seriously, uh, yeah. Is there a scorecard? No, no. You don't get a scorecard. You only get yeah. you, you know. You only get the black balls. You don't see any of the white balls as far as stochastic <laughs> influence goes. Um, uh, I I I think that uh, journalists who see this and think they are uh, somehow immune. Uh, or good going forward should remember 
that before uh, Owen Troyer and before January 6th, disputing elections was not uh, an aggravating factor in, in, in criminal proceedings. Uh, uh, as far as I can see, disputing elections was for a long time a great American tradition. Um, and uh, so, so, so there was no way really, I think, for him to know uh, and, and for his ilk to know, kind of rabble-rousing uh, partisan journalists, that what was coming next. Uh, they, they make it sound as though he had foreknowledge of January 6th and everything bad that would happen um, and uh, went ahead with it like some kind of plan. But, uh, you know, a documentary was made about Alex Jones in which we can see the speeches he gave. Um, and I don't hear him saying, uh, let's take over Nancy Pelosi's office or um, let's get in there and injure some Capitol Police. Uh, let's make Mike Pence uh, get down on his knees and, uh, you know, call for state, state legislatures to overturn the election. Uh, so, in, so, so what I'm saying is that it's hard to tell because we never know the future what we might be charged with inciting afterwards, uh, especially when it's not done directly. Um, and, and challenging an election, I think, is something a lot of journalists might do if they thought it was uh, unfair or dishonest, but never again. So we can cross that one off the board. The whole point of journalism is to be able to challenge the prevailing logic and reintroduce alternate information based on, you know, authentic, authenticated findings. Um, and one of the weapons of war that the, I guess we'll call it the intelligentsia state, the deep state, the, the, pe the powers that be. Uh, they're not necessarily a monolith, but they, they work kind of like a, an interlinked chain web of folks that, that want to enforce where they really have no, no legal power to do so, but they're using um, the forces that they have to, to kind of impose themselves and impose their own agendas upon you. You know, whether you want them to or not, whether you ask for it or not, that's that's what they're they're doing. And they're really in high they're in offense mode. They're in they're they're shocked, they're afraid, they're freaked out that you might have a thought that is contrary or outside the realm of what they want to do. Now I don't know why they're so aggravated. You know, it could be because they're watching a lot of stuff on the internet. Just like other people are aggravated and agitated, they get about agitated about the things that agitate them. People tend to self-agitate on the internet. They go look for things that kind of reinforce their, their narrative and their worldview. I do the same thing, but I, I try to, to kind of leave, you know, a kernel or a grain of salt out there. You know, but we're, we're turning the powers of law against you know, what is plainly able to be seen, the the person of Norm Pattis was mentioned 
in this this uh, interview coverage with um, with Matt and Walter, just so happens that this Norm Pattis is a very uh, storied, accomplished uh, defense attorneys, and defense attorneys themselves have become an attacked class of law. This one person. Uh, he had his law license suspended in Connecticut for six months because Alex Jones hired a lawyer and this lawyer was able to volley a proper defense. They suspended his law license. I think something similar happened to the state of Texas here with our, our attorneys general. They had, they sought to have him suspended for an investigation so that they could more or less blunt force to open up the border for all kinds of unknown people. Now, I have had a lot of history in speaking publicly about the issues of migration, immigrant, immigrant rights, Asylum, not asylum. There is a legitimate asylum process. Whether or not it's being abused, I can say that through the numbers, you could possibly be overwhelming the legitimate system with asylum claims. There's, they were not set up or they are defaulting on the public, public capability to make asylum proper. The amount of judges, the amount of paperwork, the amount of attention that this is getting is it is made small. And then the people who leak and go over the sides like a, a giant muffin top of migration is, is something of a gray area. And so what came back into the fore this week was, do you know where all those people are? Do you have a differentiation between... The people who came over the border who are not asylum? Because the not asylum folks are the folks that are of sudden interest because, uh-uh-uh, there's another aggravated conflict in the Middle East. What does that mean for you and me? Well, everybody harkens back to 9-11 and, and the plane hijackers and that sort of thing. And, and 3,000 New Yorkers' lives lost in the World Trade Center Tower, which is all, it will be permanently traumatic forever, yes and yes. However, there is a point when we have to come to reason. And what also happened was that the 9-11 event was used as a Reichstag fire for our intelligence state, the police state, to instill kind of like a downstepped version of American liberty where all of our freedoms went away in exchange by waving this totem of totem spook of 9-11 of, of the, the bearded, you know, turban terrorist who never reappeared. You know, they, they, they put this, this voodoo chapel in Cuba where they stored a bunch of people that represented terrorism. There wasn't a conviction. There wasn't a due trial. There was nothing. They just were, they were held there. Humanity was just 
put on hold in a torturous fish tank to represent the ill will we have towards Middle Eastern terrorists. And that is that is the worst. It is the most pathetic thing that, that I feel about our powers, what we use them for. We couldn't get a just conviction on on extranational terrorists that attacked our nation. You can't just go through the court systems. No, you have to you have to randomly accuse. Go go rip a guy out of the Middle East somewhere, throw him in Cuba and call that call that done. And you think we're stupid too. And you think we're stupid too. How insulted? They don't care. They don't care. It's it's a matter of the way it looks in kabuki theater. It doesn't matter the the lives lost or who dies or that sort of thing. I'll tell you why. Because real Americans went over to Iraq and real Americans went over to Afghanistan and they got mauled and died and now are uh, are here with us. And some of them are definitely not here with us. They died over there. That was real death. Real death. And it was misattributed to the 9-11 attacks. Iraq definitely was. It was not, there was no yellow cake. There was no, you know, we're, we're going back in time. And we're looking at what they did to justify war and a lot of things so that you wouldn't get in, you, little you, listening to this podcast, would not get in their way because of how powerful you actually are. So, this was back when InfoWars was big. You know, when conspiracy theorists were not this big, overblown threat. When we, you know, people who called conspiracy theorists, who gets to decide I'm a conspiracy theorist? Well, it turns out, it's probably four people and a PR Quantix firm and uh, some guys with a bunch of money. Okay, they, they just get all kind of get together and, and you don't really see who they are and you don't know who they are. But they decide you're a terrorist or you are a malign actor or you are, you know, and you don't get a trial. This is a Sixth Amendment violation. You don't get to face your accusers. And that is wrong. Disinformation, not a job of the American people. It is not my job to assess what is disinformation? That is a deep intelligence state job. They start it. They create it. They propagate it. And then they make you guilty for it? No. No. Absolutely not. Disinformation from the get is always a government job. To make you responsible or to make someone from Alex Jones at InfoWars responsible for disinformation means that they have they have keyed them in as an intelligence actor for a rival force. Where is the Sixth Amendment representation in this case? Norm Pattis. Okay. They suspended this license. They, they suspended the license of the Attorney General of the State of Texas so that he couldn't do his job representing the just interests here. So we are in some sort of war, unfortunately. It's a cold war, but it's a war. And it's with people who don't show themselves. These are shadow actors, but they do have names. And they do have public income. They can be held accountable. And you, you must, 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 at this point, if you disagree with 
how this is playing out because you don't know which end of the stick that you will end up on. I have seen people who would never be in a column of disagreement with the state suddenly get thrown there because of COVID. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were carrying out their lives. They were just normal McNormalsons. And then suddenly they are on the wrong side of the state. And we've come weird, floral, full circle, full circle. You got, there are innocent Muslims, Muslim Americans who were just kind of going, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go over here and sit down and, and have, have a time out because these idiots at these colleges who are yelling to high weather that, you know, Hamas is where it's at. I can't do that. I can't even go anywhere within six blocks of that or my life is finished. I will be over and done. They have watched their families under undue suspicion for years. People from Palestine had to go through hell. People who are Muslim Americans in this, in this nation have, have gone through hell under undue suspicion because... But how, how is it that, that kind of these, these dual nationals, some of them have gone over to the Hamas team, by the way, which is weird. Okay, but it's still happening. They're going over to, to Team Palestine Hamas because they're more communist than they are Jewish. And explaining that to people is going to be difficult, but I think I just did it. It's pretty simple. There's a communist contingency in Palestine that makes the rules and hands the ball to whoever will be the most destructive force for, uh, for, for governments that are not communist. That is how they get allies and, and other terrorist states. And that's how they, they conveniently kind of dispense with all laws because law, they don't care about the laws. They aren't, it's not a communist state. I don't have to obey those laws. And so you get anarcho-communism, okay? And it's basically in, the, in Latin America, it's been translating as narco, narco-anarchy, narco-tyranny, okay? They, they don't care about the laws, so they just go sell drugs, and that's how they finance, you know, government revolutions, terrorism, bombs, whatever you want. That's how they do it. When that comes over to, to you and your children in school is that they also finance lawyers. They finance NGOs. They finance... Uh, a host of these little things. They have attorney firms. They haven't. They finance entire law firms with narco and drug money, so that they have representation and lobbying. But they do it through nonprofit organizations who get, you know, dark money. There's a dark side to to the nonprofit world. If someone just gives a cash donation, it just happens to be a cartel or a terrorist organization. That nonprofit usually isn't in trouble because they're not looking at nonprofits. They're not typically looking at NGOs. And I don't want them to, but if I don't say this, I can't fitfully say this is how that machinery works. It's not always that way. You know, there, there's competing bricks of money. There are other socialists and other governments who are like, I'm sympathetic. Let's just go get our rich socialists. George Soros, you know, because there are a few of them. It's not just George Soros. There's a whole cache of people who are like, yeah, I'm sympathetic. I'm a simp. And they just throw their cash at these, these kids 
in these universities and 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 they grow these little weird you know communist sympathetic organizations and they learn to kind of network together well what is in threat well we're all in threat let's all solidarity together and that's okay usually that's okay as long as you're working towards a good cause a cause where there's not terrorism involved yeah, this is actual terror. Hamas is a real terrorist group. But then all of a sudden you see kids who were like, I'm for gay rights. Use the correct pronoun or else. And then next week they're like, with Hamas? That's communism. No. So, I mean, if you were just trying to figure that out, they're spraying their, their little rebellious signs on the side of, billion, of buildings and running Jewish students into a lockup hall and things like that. You know, that was, that was a swim team chief one week. That's, that's a conservative speaker over here, you know, another week. Now it's Jewish students, you know, who's next? So I, I don't really think that people are, are glomming on to the, the common thread here. And the common thread is that there is a incubator the, the, a lot of these universities have just become communist incubators you know there was a confucian confucius institute that got in there and they communicated a lot of communist ideation they've been dispelled but i think damage done there's been a lot of there have been a lot of professors who had to hang on to their jobs making you know appeasement concessions to the prevailing doctrine at the universities and the doctrine goes against our fundamental rights as humans and as as Americans. And I think it's time for not just Reno at the... There's, there's legal approaches that aren't law. They're just superimposed. And I need, I need God to come work on this with me. I need, I need you to work with me on this. I need, I need lawyers who know what they're doing to say this isn't the construct of the law. This is a legal invention that came out of the ether that isn't our law. This is not our government. They have nowhere to go. When you say this is not our government and you invoke clearly the lines of the law, but if you've got people in the wheelworks, judges, corrupt elected judges, corrupt, you know, DAs and people who will or won't prosecute in selective prosecution, which it actually is a crime. And I'm going to say it again. I know I'm going to sound like a, like a repetitive blowhole here, but selective justice is a crime of corruption. And if it's never addressed, if no one ever attacks it, and if never, no one ever calls it out, no one ever files any paper, then we're going to sit here and we're going to be doing this again. It, it's more than just voting them out. You have to get in the game, lawyers, and start filing paper. You know, throw these darts at these people because they are wrong. They're taking people's liberty over things that are small, that are not true. And if you don't fight for the voices of InfoWars, when they come for you, who's going to be there for you? Who's going to talk about you? They're going to come get me. And then who will be left? So, I mean, it's time. Get out of the fog. It is now. You're in it. I'm not saying I'm 
The war will come to you. That's how wars go. You know, I'm sure the people dancing in the in the tents over in Gaza were like, yeah, woo! Until some paraglider came in and gave them a war. Okay? It wasn't, they didn't get a vote. They didn't get a vote to like go hide in the bushes while they watched a few of her friends get kidnapped. They didn't they didn't get a vote. Cause that's how war is. War just happens to you. Okay, it comes to you, and then you gotta get real. War comes to you, you get real, you understand what's going on, and then you get a strategy. Whoa, okay. This is happening now. Again, disinformation, not my job. From beginning to end, that is a government construct. Somebody invented that. You didn't go to school and say, hey, teach me the ways of disinformation. No, nobody did that. That's someone trying to outsource their job to the public like it's a volunteer position. No. I, I'm, I'm kind of mad because like I don't want to be dealing with this, but I am. You know, and again, I'm just going to say it again quickly. War happens to you. It is a calamity. You know, the, the people in Israel are, are doing their best, man. I, I can see it. I can see what that's like. They're, the, the high elements of their government are just going, we gotta, we gotta not make this a world war. <laughs> we gotta not make this a world war. And we gotta get the hostages. That's what they're doing. Meanwhile, you know, we've got other forces that are kind of, kind of trying to force a retribution on Iran, which I don't think is very good. You know, bringing a preemptive strike to Iran before they do something is not, not very good. But I think that this is their method of deterrence. You know, it makes my stomach go into my throat a little bit because if they could also start another world war, I wish they would just kind of get out of this. Everybody would just go home and stop bombing each other. That'd be really great. Then, you know, then there shall be business, then there shall be trade, and people can just go raise families and, and get back to, to doing what they were doing. But there is evil in the world, and people wanted land. And this is what clarified for me this week. The reason of Israel deprecating any, any kind of uh, resources was to create an environment that was so hellish for some of the people in Palestine, not all of the people in Palestine, because also what came clear to me was that folks in Gaza, those regular people, baking bread, going to church and synagogue and, and mosque, all those people, people making clothes, people making children, people, people putting together weddings, wedding planners, you know, those people, they, they were not consulted about Hamas didn't get them in a the room and said, hey, would you be okay if we went in and did this, this uh, dick move on, on Israel and just killed 1,400 people in a weekend? Would that be okay? That didn't happen. Because Hamas is a terrorist organization. And they don't, cons they don't consult or consort with normal people. They're criminals. <laughs> if you expect them to do things above board... You got nothing coming. You know, there's a lot of people who've been stirred and whipped up over this, but I think cooler heads shall prevail. 
go slow. Don't make any too too many hot declarations. There's a lot of people trying to get known and get likes. And look at me, I'm at a protest, you know, on the internet. But they're idiots. They don't really know what they're going to be saying. You know, they want to say that this this is a bad thing that you were allying with. I'm like, okay, but it is at the end of the day just speech. Yes, the speech is very very ugly. But I can already see that they're going to make excuses for their, their children that they wouldn't make for a reporter outside the Capitol on January 6th who is now in jail. They would make all kinds of excuses for their kids. You know, oh, well, this is free speech. You can't, you know, he's not a real terrorist. Really? You know, that's all subjective, depending on who's in charge. But that's not really the way it's supposed to be. So we have got to straighten this crookedness out. We've got to get more lawyers in coalition to stop this. You know, this, this malignment, this misuse of justice, this abuse of the office. So that people will have a straight and narrow path to stay on. You know, if you say terroristy things... It's not the same as being a terrorist. If you go to the ballot box and you vote for a guy that they don't like, that's not an act of terrorism. It is to certain communists because they don't understand our system of democracy. Everything looks like revolution and terrorism. Like, I, I saw something this week that was really revealing. If you voted for a candidate that they don't like, that's what they call a coup. C-O-U-P. Not coo like a dove no it's not peaceful at all a coup is where they turn over the government you know against the will of the people like against the will of what people there was a it was an election people voted and then you know someone lost and that's it and and that's most people if there's a if a, there's a democratic election somebody's gonna lose and the loser's always kind of mad but that does not mean it was a coup. But if you leave the definitions up to the communists, they're going to come back and tell you what genocide is. Like peanut butter genocide. No. No, it's not. You know, genocide is a very specific thing. It's the, the murder of an entire race as Bill Maher. I don't think I'm going to have time for Bill Maher. I want you to go see the Bill Maher this week on HBO if you can get it. Try to find it online. But he, it's his Halloween edition. It was very, very informative and good. I, I will, I shall promote it. I'll drop a link in the section. But what's important for me to, to say is I'm not going to get to any AI stuff this week either. Which is unfortunate because there's a hell of a lot of AI governance that's going on right now. They're, they're, they're locking in method and strategy from Europe that's going to be impacting uh, U.S. governance with AI too. So there was a pivot to allow the United States to kind of get their act together, kind of get in the game and, and frame AI governance in terms of competition, innovation, and those sorts of things. Um, but competition and innovation in a, in a lot of ways is heavily reliant on the government. And I think that that was a hidden, hidden element that was not said enough. You know, the funding 
comes from Department of Defense and from DARPA and other related agencies for computing development. Um, what they use it for is surveillance in, in large part so they can keep tabs on the populations of this planet. And we don't really need all that surveillance. You know, to the limit of government, this is getting excessive and only certain people are benefiting. You know, the credit industry benefits and the insurance industry benefits, but nobody else really does. And the fruit of our doings with this always on super surveillance, you know, ultra servant, you know, step and fetch it for the spook has, has turned on our children. It's turned into beauty filters so that, that children are fine. Am I okay? Am I okay? Do I exist today? Am I okay? Am I okay? You know, and they're looking to the inter internet to see if they're okay. Because that's where all their friends are. Supposed friends. Because they're not with their friends. They're not with people. They're with a device. They're peering into a device for relationship. And, and we're losing our humanity. It's dissipating as animals because we're social. But be, we're told that this is what social is. This is what social is supposed to accommodate. But it's no longer a peaceful practice where people are actually free to be themselves and, you know, what happens, happens. Some of that does happen, but what other things that happen is that it's a really predatory environment. And I don't need to tell anyone that. So I, I want to pivot to... <sighs> Deep breath. I want to pivot to this, this debate of whether or not there's enough people, if the world is being peopled enough. And of certain, I can't presume to know that there's enough people. I think there is a generation, mainly a Gen X parent, that is concerned that their children are not breeding and that the children that they made are not breeding yet. Okay? If they're living in your basement, they're probably not hooking up with girls. You know, if the boys are not hooking up with the girls, that's the main reason why there's no pregnancy. If there's no action happening, there's no pregnancy. And there may be some, but it's if they're all going in line for relationship, online for relationship, that's a way to self-neuter. Because when you go into the internet, the likelihood is maybe 40% that they'll try to convince you to change genders. And if that doesn't work, then you won't actually hook up with anybody because you're in a false sense of esteem. The lighting's bad. I can't visit that guy. I don't know who he is. He's online. But everybody's online. It's, it's a double conundrum. You can't be online and trust whoever that is because, because they're online. So how do you actually get together with another human? Well, it's, it's difficult. They've made it difficult. On the other hand, you know, you've got a, a dwindling job environment for people who are young. It's always tough to compete. It's always tough to compete and get in the game and, and, and find a job. It's always tough. But when you do, it's a really good thing. And uh, so don't give up hope. There's, there's a job for you out there. 
just believe. Um, just to keep applying yourself. There's a reason for your talents. Don't give up on your talents. Believe in yourself. Um, and then and then find some find some good supportive friends. And you know if things aren't working out, try try to diversify your your interests. That way more can come to you. I think this is general advice. You know, for people who, who may be feeling hopeless because people will not hook up because they don't have any disposable income. They they are young and poor and they don't have they don't have it to do it. And when they do have it to do it, <clears throat> they're going to venues which are like ultra massives. So back to the overpopulation issue. And the reason why I say that is because uh, you just look at this Fortet and Fred again, Skrillex concert. I mean, you just listen to the blow up. I mean, it's got to be a mile wide, like floor space at Coachella. I mean, it's full. There must be 750,000 people at this event. There's no way they could get anywhere near uh, Skrillex or, or Fortet, Fred again. There's no way they could get anywhere near it. So everybody's looking at screens. They're like little tiny beads of people. And, and it, there's no way. So I think everybody in the world was at this set. I know I wasn't there. I'm still here though. But with that many people at an event, I, I don't I don't think the world is underpopulated. Mm -mm. Nope. You know, if if the average ticket to say like a, a KISS concert, which is gonna be here this weekend on Sunday, is like eight hundred and fifty dollars for two people in the nosebleed seats, you know, that that's a date night. You can't, you can't really say that that's an affordable event. I went to a no-name outdoor event that looked like it was happening. Okay, I just rolled up in my vehicle because Austin is full of live music. And you know there, there were people milling around. It looked like there were tickets available. Uh, but, you know, they said, 155 for you. And I'm like, who's playing? And then they said three no-name metal, metal bands that I've never heard of. So that's that's 155 just for, you know, hey, can I get into the show tonight? You know, it's not it's no longer like $10 cover. And you get in and listen to the show. You know, it's not like that anymore. You have to you have to like prepare and save, you know, for the for these events. And and you might have a little bit more if you live at home and don't pay rent, but that's a hyper extended childhood. And who wants that? You know, the, the breathing is for adults. That's an adulty thing to do. That's if you can pay the light bill on time and, you know, make sure that the rent's paid and have disposable income. But families are for people who want to want to do things on the up and up and have a child. And, and do things kind of in a right way. They have a plan for the future. People who are of the moment don't think that way. 
narcissistic people don't think about the future. Yeah, they might be thinking about how how this futuristic thing that they're making will make them millions of dollars or something or make them famous or something. But they're not thinking about another person. A child makes you think about someone other than yourself. So I've gone long. These are things that should be self-explanatory. Not quite. So I just figured I'd dump that in. Um, again, a lot of AI governance going on right now. They're, they're really closing up the the regulatory environment and they're gonna release the new rules soon. So uh, again, I'm gonna refer to Bill Maher's uh, narrative. I'll just drop a link to it in the, into the sources, you know. I Last but most certainly not least, we've got Assange future raised in Albany's Biden talks. And this is from Perth now. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has raised concerns about the ongoing jailing of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange directly with U.S. President Joe Biden. Mr. Albanese met with Mr. Biden for an informal dinner and formal talks at the White House this week. Prime Minister earlier this month said he hoped for the release of Assange as enough is enough. He said there was nothing to be gained by the Australians' ongoing incarceration and that he would continue to raise the issue with the U.S. government. The Sydney Morning, Morning Herald reported that Mr. Albanese raised his concerns in discussions with the president. The U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby told Australian reporters this week in a briefing it was Department of Justice extradition matter. In September, a cross-party group of Australian politicians visited Washington to call on the U.S. government to abandon its extradition proceedings against Assange. He faces 17 charges of espionage and one charge of computer misuse after WikiLeaks published a draft or a raft of classified documents more than a decade ago. I'm going to leave it there. So he hasn't had a formal court hearing here in America for anything. They, the presumption is that he will, he will be jailed here for espionage, even though there was no, no real spying involved. It is the state's burden to prove this, but by every classification, this is under journalism. And what I'm seeing, you know, through the patterning of our government right now is that they are increasingly authoritarian and the way things have been conveyed has been atrociously distorted so that things are not as they are and that the intelligence state is, is just wiping away actual definitions of what things are in terms of espionage and making them things that they aren't. They're twisting and contorting and, and rickrolling so that things that cannot be convicted, such as journalism, are being reinterpreted as spying. And all of the offenses are being ordained through the version of the intelligence state. Which is grossly expanded, by the way, to, to other agencies 
who are civilian agencies and to things that aren't even anywhere nearly remotely national security. But that bloat happened or started to happen with all of the security clearances being applied to medial mundane things and the over-securitization and surveillance uh, scope broadening unnecessarily to all of everything in a total information awareness, full-spectrum panopticon, electric cage, and that's just so they can have a delusion of control. A delusion. And I continue to be not convinced. I continue to believe that this is not just. I continue to believe that these autocratic powers need to be deposed in a lawful way here in our system. They are not the true authority even though they're exerting their force and their power, they're not the legitimate rule of law. So everything that has happened to Assange is not legitimate rule of law. And they must abandon it. They must return Australia its citizen. And we stand with Stella Assange and the journalistic community in advocating his release. So... That's where I want to leave it. I know I'm spending more time on Assange than Snowden, but Snowden... I I don't know what Snowden's doing these days. Other than just, you know, kind of calmly doing his, his, uh, his life in Russia. But I don't know how calm it can be if Russia's in a war. You know, I don't... I don't know what they're using him for. I don't know how he's being manipulated. The fact that he could get one interview out to anyone in the West because they forced a Russian citizenship on him. He did a virtuous thing on behalf of our country. But it's treated as an act of war when all he did was tell us the truth about the things that were being done to us. And to this day, you know, he has, he has my loyalty and the loyalty of our household. I know he has the loyalty of his friends at The Intercept and Glenn Greenwald and everybody who worked with him in that, in that time. Um, but I, I feel like the way they perceived his, his sacrifice was more towards like an aim like, oh, it should be okay. He exposed what the state was doing already. That was a good thing. Because they were doing it right all along. No, they weren't. This is an anathema. You know? Instead of choking on this, I'm just going to say that they actually wanted mass surveillance to, to overwhelm the routine American. They wanted mass surveillance to turn this into an autocrat state a corrupt state where the powers can dictate to to the minutia of your life. And government is bad that way. That's third world government using a first world technology. If you think about 
the purpose being demoralization and then this rush to just placate or appease the powers that got totalitarian with you. The people who rushed to do that weren't doing it because they were scared. They were doing it because there was money. And I need you to remember that. I'm going to say it again. The people who rushed to accommodate and to appease the powers that that were clapping their hands around the throat of American liberty were doing it not out of fear, maybe partially because of fear, but primarily because there was money in it. That's a betrayal of your fundamental interests. And whomever they are, they need to stop. So you use the small power, the cultivation of small power that you have to speak out against it, invoke the proponents of the law, and encourage other people to do the same. Because the courage comes from knowing what's true and standing on it. You know, they can yell at you, they can say you're a terrible person, they can call you a terrorist, but, you know, they can call you a racist, they can call you all these numbers of things. It doesn't make it true. This is schoolyard politics. It doesn't make it true, and it doesn't make it true when the government does it. It just makes it stupid. And it makes it illegal what they are doing to you. When you use the truth to assert yourself in a proper way and someone fights you in an illicit way, in a hidden way, they are the coward. So I'm just going to go back to my Sixth Amendment. I have a right to, to expose my accusers. I want to see the face of Edward Snowden's accusers. It can't just be a top-level autocrat at the DNI that's going to lie to the American public. Like James Clapper. All the little voices that are chewing away at American civil liberty. They all need to come out and show themselves. And then once they're exposed... They need to answer to the American people and the fundaments of our government because they have violated. They are the criminals. They are the true criminals in this. They are the true traitors in this. Okay? And they have gone undetected for too long, like a termite problem. So don't forget, you have power too. You know, it's not It's not at the, at the strength that... They want it to be, but it's enough to threaten them. And if there wasn't a threat there, they wouldn't be trying to heavy-hand you at every turn, would they? Just think about that. Everyone has power, especially you. Come back next week. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic iHeartRadio podcasts and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.